the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have Andrew D'Angelo on. He is an cannabis industry consultant, strategic advisor, and also the co-founder of Harborside. Um, Andrew has done so much for advocacy in the movement, and I'm just really happy to have you here today. So welcome, Andrew. Well, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Hey, so I always like to start with how how you what your first cannabis experience was and how you got interested in working in cannabis. Well, most of your listeners or some of your listeners are probably familiar with my older brother, Steve D'Angelo, who's also very much an icon and pioneer in our movement and industry in cannabis. And when your older brother is 10 years older than you uh, and he's already deeply in, in, into the cannabis scene, uh, you know, you get offered cannabis quite a bit as you're growing up <laughs> as a teenager. Um, and I was an athlete in high school, so I, I, I usually said no, but I, I got hurt uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. I got hurt real bad physically, and um, I was miserable because my dreams of being a professional athlete were over. And, and my brother saw me in that state one day in my mom's kitchen, and he was already smoking his joint <laughs> and um, handed it to me. And this time, instead of saying no, I said yes. And by the time that joint was over, we were upstairs in my mom's house smoking another. And then after dinner, we went to his house and he gave me a quarter pound of weed that I <laughs> took and began selling weed to my friends. Uh, in high school, and I, I came out of the closet very quickly and very committedly, um, probably because my older brother, but, but also because the plant itself, the plant medicine itself, as I mentioned, I was in a lot of physical pain. I was also depressed. So, uh, and the plant medicine immediately, immediately, not only made my physical pain go away, which was why I hit the joint in the first place, but what surprised me was the psychological and uh, mental health trauma that I was in from my dream dying was lifted. And cannabis, I, I, I immediately knew, you know, there's more to life than playing sports and there's a whole big world out there. And I'm only a sophomore in high school. It's time to get over it and go get some of that other stuff. Um, and that inspiration the plant gave me was really important. It was a really critical moment on my journey to who I am today. Uh, if, if, if I hadn't had that experience with the plant and, and it was the plant that did that to me, it wasn't so much my brother. He, he was the guide, he was the provider, I guess, of the, of the medicine. But, um, so, so the combination of those I, I immediately knew I needed to work with this plant and I needed to help other people get access to it. And that's why I started selling weed and that's why I started advocating for legalization. And this was the 1980s. This was not a good time to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what coast so. were you on then too? Were you in the West Coast or were you in the East Coast? No. 
we grew up in Washington, D.C. My, my father worked for the federal government for many years, and my mom was a housewife and, um, until they got divorced, and then she, she worked in the workforce. Um, and they, they were in the Washington, D.C. area, so that's where we grew up. And, and when my brother sort of ran away from home uh, and um, started his cannabis business, it was in D.C. So, um, yeah, and I went to high school. I lived with my father in high school in a little town called Alexandria, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., a suburb outside D.C. And, um, and that's where I went to high school. That's, you know, it's funny when I talk to people about when it really clicked for them with cannabis, a lot of times it is like some people will say that they, they used it recreationally before, but it really clicks when you use it in a way that gives you relief. Because I remember I was like 13 the first time I tried cannabis and I used it off and on like through college and, you know, as an adult, but it wasn't until I went through cancer and I really saw like everything that it could do to help me, like not only with like nausea, but also just like the anxiety of going through something so stressful. And, um, and yeah. I, you know, and you see that, like you know, I spent uh, what eight years behind the bar. And um, when you see people who show up who are using it as, you know, a last ditch option to get relief because nothing else is helping. And then, you know, and they're kind of overwhelmed with like the stigma because they're like, oh, you know, I know my doctor said, you know, I could try it, but I feel like it's this last ditch thing. And they are, they'll say to you over and over again, you know, I don't use drugs. I never, I don't use them. And then right. all of a sudden they come yeah. back and they're like, this worked. And I'm really mad that I was afraid for so long to try it. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that that rage in people. I, I've experienced that a lot, especially people have been in like severe pain or really existential crisis with cancer like you had. And you're not And the anxiety is existential. It's, yep. Will I be here? You know, and not most of us don't think that way. We're not thinking existentially day by day. It's too overwhelming. We can't really think that way. Now, in the, with the pandemic and everything, of course, and, and I think what the crisis of global warming that's going to unwind here for us, we'll have more and more of that um, and existential anxiety on a daily basis um, that people with a cancer diagnosis have. Um, and we'll have to treat it just like people with cancer have to treat it. And cannabis is, um, uh, I'm glad that it gave you that anxiety relief. Uh, uh, it, it, I've heard a lot of other folks say that and just also spiritual relief, a certain amount of acceptance, you know, I, we're, we're, we're all terminally ill here. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, we are all have a far, a limited amount of time. Every breath is precious. Every moment is precious. And, um, and cannabis taught me that, you know, when I was knocking balls around on a court, I didn't appreciate that the same way that I did once I, I had the, the plant medicine. I was able to slow down enough, get out of, I guess, the default mode network, as uh, Michael Pollan would call it, um, uh, but, uh, and, and just see the world with fresh eyes a little bit and a little bit more like, I don't want to say like a child, but, but, but like 
from a, a fresh place, a, a fresh perspective, because when you have that euphoric feeling from cannabis or the relaxed feeling, it gives you a deeper appreciation for the, for life itself, you see. And, and, and when we have appreciation for life itself, we can bring meaning to it. We can do meaningful things. And then the limited amount of time we have here, we feel really good about, you know, mm-hmm. we feel really good about how we spent it. Yeah. And I feel like those of us that have been really impacted by our experiences with cannabis that have decided to get into the work, that really feeds the work because, you know, it, there's nothing. I, I always used to say to people, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, a, <laughs> this is not altruism. It makes me extraordinarily happy to be able to help other people and to, to see them get relief. And, you know, I, conversation is normalization. When somebody has a good experience with it, they want to share that with everybody that they love so that they, they can experience it too if they need it. And I, I just think yeah. it's such a rich thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the good aspects of growing up in the 1980s when Prohibition was raging so hard was you got to see the, the end user that you'd sell your weed to or, or give your weed to if you were a grower or something like that, um, that you would smoke a joint with them. Um, you know, that was the standard procedure. You smoke a joint, you taste the weed together, and then you have a transaction. And the joint, you would see how these folks were getting relief from that joint. For It wasn't the transaction that turned me on about selling cannabis. It was the relief and it was the connection I had with the people. I immediately, I didn't know how to name it. We didn't have medical cannabis in the, in the, in the, in the, um, dictionary, the hip, 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 hipstionary, hipster, hipster dictionary, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. Um, um, but, 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 um, uh, uh, but now, but it was always for me, you know, I had a hard childhood. There was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of, my family got broken up and there, my brother died. All kinds of things happened. And, um, and so the mental health part of cannabis healing for me, um, was something I immediately connected to and made that association that this is the thing I turn to when I'm too wound up and I'm too stressed out and I'm too worried um, uh, I turned to this thing and this thing, this plant I put inside me then restores a sense of hope and balance. Um, and okay, I can carry on now. I'm, 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 my observer is back in the driver's seat, not the worried part of me. I'm not merged with these feelings anymore. I'm, I'm now, I'm able to step back and, and, and be the observer again and, and let those parts know that I'm, I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, that was the nice thing about growing up in that, in prohibition is you would see that relief happen with people. We didn't know what to call it. We just call it getting stoned together. Um, but you'd laugh and you'd talk and you have a deep conversation or you, you might just have a silly conversation or you might just listen to some music together and hear it in a whole new way. Um, or taste some food together, go get the munchies together. And just that the experience of all of that happening together was this, 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 this act of 
of um, of healing and of, of an antidote um, to to the stresses of the modern world. Um, so nowadays, y- you know, it's a little bit different how how that exchange works. Now we can do it more out in the open. Now we have all these terrific products, and now we have some science. Not nearly enough science, but we have some science, and uh, we have some legalization and stigma still very strong, but starting to really break apart. You know, it's really starting to get deconstructed in pop culture, I think. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Part of my work as an educator has always been not only to inform, but to dispel stigma. But one of the things that I've noticed now that we have more openness about talking about cannabis and, you know, the availability in states. And, um, and then there's still that continuous talk about the green rush, which I always like, you know, it's dead. The green green rush is dead. It's not what it was before. No one's getting three grand a pound anymore, but there's also a lot of people that are getting into it, you know, wanting to have um, businesses and there's a lot of misinformation out there as well that I find that I have to kind of, you know, have people kind of be more realistic about, you know, it's wonderful. It does so much, but it is not this panacea that's going to save your marriage and your life and wash your car and do all the things that you need to have solved. It will, it helps a lot of people with a lot of things, but I, I feel like we have to also, you know, temper it a little bit too because you know we have people that are like talking about the things that cbd can do and it does do a lot and i'm a huge fan of cbd but you also have people like that will be selling like through multi-level marketing that don't really understand what they're working with oh yes well we're in a very interesting phase with the industry and um and of course, there's all kinds of different motivations for people working with the plant now. Then when it was super dangerous, <laughs> um, you, you know, the, it, the motivations of the people working with the plant were, were a little bit more black and white. There's a lot more gray now. And, and it is hard to sort of sort through the hype and the noise and, and know what's authentic and real. And CBD has been overhyped. It just has been. Um, and, you know, taking two milligrams of CBD in a gummy or a drink is not going to do much for anybody. Um, and if you, you know, if you say that it will, (laughs) um, and then it doesn't, and people are going to be like, well, I bought these CBD gummies. They didn't do anything. Um, and then we, and then, you know, and then the branding, we have a branding problem for the plant itself. Right. So it, it, we've, Steve and I, my brother, Steve and I, and all of our um, projects. We, we try very hard to communicate the message that, that can't, you know, cannabis is, is, is something that is, 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 is not supposed to replace, um, exercise or eating right or, <laughs> um, uh, having good, um, hygiene or, um, being, uh, having a connection to spirit or it's not, it's not designed to replace or substitute. It's supposed to be an enhancer and an additive. Um, in the case of people who are using it for, you know, pretty immediate and necessary healing, then it's a healing agent that that's immediate, you know, and, 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 you know, in some 
cases, it can save your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, I know the minute it uh, came out of my know. my mouth, I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> in some cases, but you're right. In some cases, it couldn't actually pr- get you quicker to divorce um, um, because cannabis doesn't, you know, it, it, it doesn't always break the way you expect. Um, and no, no plant medicine does. No natural thing does. Just like every workout you have is a little bit different. Some of them are stronger, and you can bust out another set or another mile or two on your run or whatever it is. And, and other days, it's just like, wow, I'm lucky if I can do half of what I'm, I'm usually doing. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the same thing with anything natural that, that you're applying to your life and your body is, is, is the outcomes. It's a little bit of a wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> and Murphy's law is powerful. <laughs> uh, and if, you know, if you're, if you're having problems with your marriage and you only turn to cannabis and nothing else, you might actually <laughs> make the problem worse <laughs> um, uh, uh, because it, it, but if you're in therapy and you're really committed to working through the problems and um, you're, you want to be more present with each other and you want to slow down and you want to just be able to appreciate the other person, then maybe sharing some cannabis together is actually an entirely useful tool um, uh, to that end. Um, so, these are, we have to, these are, are you know, it, these are operating systems that you have to operate right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're tools for coping in a, in a larger holistic scheme of things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, uh, you know, at Harborside, the early days of Harborside, when we were a medical dispensary, we had pre-medical classes. You could take a Reiki class. You could take a yoga class. You could take... Uh, uh, acupuncture, you could have these, and they were free because we run as a nonprofit in those days. And, um, uh, and, and it, the idea was you get your medical cannabis here, but you also get some other things um, that are going to enhance your, your overall wellness. Because we're, we're, once you already are sick, as you know from the cancer experience, then, then it's it's a different thing, <laughs> and, and now you have to come back from the edge. What what wellness is about is is trying to make sure you you don't get to that edge, you know, as quickly as you might have without the right. preventative measure that you're taking. In this case, cannabis. Um, um, but it should always be an ensemble effect. Cannabis as one of an ensemble of things that you do, um, an ensemble of agents or activities. You know, I take a lot of other herbs besides cannabis. I take all kinds of Chinese herbs my acupuncturist gives me. I take um, all kinds of herbs to make me calm. I take nootropics like melatonin. Um, I, I take all kinds of different natural supplement compounds, uh, not just uh, uh, cannabis, because I believe in these natural things to help you know i believe in them i spend as much money on the natural stuff that some people spend on the pharmaceuticals <laughs> um, that they that they get from their doctor every month but um uh, uh and uh, but I, I i these things i also have not been sick in two years right you know um um you know i really so. i love the synergy between cannabis and other herbs like i i, I like you, I do a lot of natural supplements. I'm like, especially in these times, 
I'm a big fan of adaptogens, just like keeping my nerves calm, yeah. you know. Um, what do you think about a lot of the new products that are coming out that are combining like cannabis and herbs or other supplements? Because I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, I think it's all in the alchemist. Um, and, and, and then again, it can be confusing, right? Cause as soon as somebody does that authentically and has a lot of success, somebody's going to come in behind them with some, you know, ingredient that's not as authentic, um, and, and try to capitalize on that. But, but I'm excited about that because, um, you know, we're seeing this. I know that Burner, for instance, the famous Burner from Cookies, he's he's launched a capsule line that has reishi mushrooms and stuff in it, I believe, yeah. as well as cannabinoids. He did that with Blue River um, and Tony Fazura um, and and that whole crew. Um, and those guys, you know, I I I, I take I take those I, I take those guys I have trust with. You know, I know that they're that their labs, I've been to their labs, I've seen their labs, I incubated <laughs> Blue River for a little while at Harborside. I, I know the alchemy really well there, and, and, and so I'm excited, and I think those products are great. Rishi and those healthy non-psychedelic mushrooms <laughs> um, that, you know, with the, the antioxidants, all the other wonderful things that come with them, um, they're non-psychoactive. It, 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 they they might give you a little bit of a feeling of a little bit more energy in the case of reishi or a little bit, you know, like a cup of coffee without the edge on it. Um, but generally they're non-psychoactive, but, but they also, they really help your immune system. And, um, you know, it's uh, since I've been taking the, just the mushrooms the last few years, the amount of just common colds I've gotten has just plummeted just plummeted and you know part of that is i'm not walking into harborside every day anymore where there's 200 workers and they all have colds and giving them to each other but um <laughs> I, uh, but I know that's that, like <laughs> you know what i mean i mean that's part of it but but part of it is 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 these mushrooms you know i've been taking and um uh i gotta believe that because Sometimes you run out of the ratio. It's hard to order. You got to get it in the mail, so forth and so on during the pandemic. And I would feel my, I would feel the difference when I didn't have it. I could feel in my body just, it was subtle, of course, but I could feel a little bit more tired, a little bit more run down. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm excited about how cannabinoids can, and not that, and just terpenes, what terpenes can do with some of these compounds. Um, might be also the next frontier might not just be the cannabinoids and the herbal compounds, but, you know, imagine what you can do with CBN and melatonin um, or, or CBG and, you know, uh, a noon a different noon tropic. Um, you know, it, 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 it could be it could be a very exciting new area of natural supplements and 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 um, compounds that are available to people that they can turn to that are as efficacious, if not more so, than the pharmaceuticals, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's that, I think, is one of the things that that struck me the most, like when I was when I was sick, is that my, my mom is a cancer researcher and oncology nurse. So she actually did the clinical trials of of what I ended up taking. 
And um, so, wow, yeah, it was it was a little trippy because I knew stuff that other patients don't know. Like <laughs> I went to see my doctor and I was <laughs> wow. like, yeah, I was like, so I heard I might go blind. He's like, who told you that? I'm like, my mom who did the clinical trials. He's like, oh, well, you know, it's very rare. My mom's like, actually, it wasn't so rare. And I was frightened for oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and you I have... would be terrified of that. Oh, yeah. Well, fortunately, like, you know, I didn't experience any of the really extreme stuff. But, you know, if I had known back then what I know now around, you know, using CBD to, you know, protect yourself with the neuropathy, I, I used it for things like, you know, anxiety and I liked I like THC more so because we weren't really talking about CBD as much back then it was almost Mm -hmm. all THC products but you know because of that I didn't have to take my opiates and I didn't have to take antiemetics and I was a stage three colon cancer patient at the time and so it's like the side effects from a lot of the drugs that were supposed to help me also had some really impactful harms as well and it's like when you can use something else that you know, not only makes you feel good, but it doesn't have the side effects. That's, that's something. Yes, I bet. It must have been a big relief. It was. And just, you know, getting into, I haven't been in the industry as long as you have, um, but I did start when we were still getting trained on raids. Um, <laughs> those right. those yeah. lovely days. Yeah. <laughs> right. Had Omar's card right. in my back pocket. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. He's a good one to have. Oh, (laughs) yeah, for sure. But, you know, so we've we've seen, like, just kind of how the standards have changed. And and you and and Steve were a big part of setting a lot of the standards as far as how how businesses are run and a lot of the policy work. And I was wondering if you'd speak a little bit to that and and how the two of you decided to go brick and mortar with Harborside. Well, we opened Harborside in October of 2006. And um, so medical cannabis, at the, it was only legal in California in those days. And the only place that you could get a license, the city of Oakland was the first municipality in the world that did a licensing program for, and they only did it for cannabis retail. They didn't do it for cultivation. They didn't do it for manufacturing. And, you know, Steve and I have been trading cannabis our whole lives and didn't like doing that as criminals. <laughs> yeah. um, and we, we, we really wanted to do that in the open uh, freely. And so when the city of Oakland launched their licensing program, we decided to apply uh, for one and took a lot of risk and sold my mom's house and used the money and, and just all kinds of crazy things we did to open the facility and get the license. Um, But we did get the license. And then of course, once you have the license, then you have that sort of, Oh crap moment where you have to actually do it. And, um, and at that time there was no like standard operating procedure for opening a dispensary. And at that time dispensaries were either fronts for criminal organizations and they had all kinds of, bulletproof glass and bars on the windows and they're really cold places. Um, or they were, you know, run by well-intentioned activists who didn't really understand how to run a retail open facility. Um, and it, it felt more like a sort of an activist center that had a little weed 
trade going on and a whole bunch of people smoking weed <laughs> in it. Um, uh, and those were the sort of the two models and we wanted to do something a little different. And so we had to invent, like you said, the policies and procedures where we were the first, as far as I know, one of the first Berkeley patients group might've done it before us, but we were the first dispensary to put barcodes. So I, one of my first jobs at Harborside was I ran the inventory. You have to have someone you trust (laughs) in the vault doing the inventory. So that was me. And, and I had to organize it and I was like, well, Jesus, let's have barcodes. Let's get into the, you know, let's get modern here. And so we, we, we got a POS system at those, in those days, there wasn't any cannabis POS system. We had to get off the shelf retail POS system, um, uh, that Intuit made, uh, it's Intuit product. Uh, and it was never designed for a cannabis store, but we were able to tweak it enough. Um, and, and, and so, and then the next thing we did was lab testing and then, you know, no one had ever done that before. And and we did that, boy, our growers and vendors hated that. I've got to tell you. Um, but, (laughs) but we, but we did it and our patients liked it. There were some unintended consequences that came from that. One of them being this, this race to the highest THC percentage um, problem that's sort of gotten out of control. But, um, uh, but any case, it's generally considered a good thing to have lab testing of cannabis. We also did things. We had the first child proof or child resistant, not proof resistant packaging for edibles. Um, we only did edibles. We didn't do the, the others in those early days because we didn't, I, I, I still don't think you really need to have a joint in a, in a, in a child proof package. I uh, completely child agree. Eight, you know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, man. Um, uh, we're really going to do single use plastic so we can keep a joint away from a kid that the kid's not going to know what to do with anyway. And even if they ate it, it wouldn't cause them any harm whatsoever or psychoactivity at all. Yeah. Um, Cause there's no decarbon there's no decarb happening. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, but you know, you try to tell the, uh, government and regulator people that and they laugh you out of the room. Um, uh, so, so we're stuck with it for now, but, but, but we thought it was important for edibles, right? Not just for kids, but for pets too. Um, uh, and ultimately it's important for adults to keep those products safe in the household and, that's another thing we did at Harborside. We sold these little lockable kit boxes and kits uh, that was made by Stash Logic is the name of the company that makes those. Uh, we sold those to keep people so people keep their household safe uh, from the products. And 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 you know more importantly, we developed training for our team and a culture of caring for our team and caring for our customers and putting all of that first. Um, and that means we paid people more money than cannabis companies pay their people now. And we um, hired more women and minorities than most big cannabis companies like Harborside do now, or even Harborside does now, frankly. Um, and those were the kind of innovations that were really important for us because we came from the underground economy. And the underground economy, the way you stay out of jail and um, protect your, your network is to have a deep level of trust. Uh, amongst your team uh, and, and, and if somebody gets busted they know they're going to get bailed out and they know they're going to get a vigorous legal defense mounted on their behalf they will not roll they will not um, take anyone else down with them 
Um, so that was the ethos we were coming in. I was like, okay. And in those, in those days you had to be a patient to work at Harborside and not, and it was not many super well-qualified people wanted to work in the cannabis industry in those days. So we had to develop our own talent. We had to, we had a lot of entry level folks. We had a lot of folks coming in the very beginning of their careers. A lot of these folks were cannabis folks. They were coming from traumatized backgrounds in some cases, like all of us were. Um, and, or they were coming from sick backgrounds. They're very sick people. And maybe they had cancer like you did. And they, that, and that's what brought them in to work at, at Harborside. Uh, and, and so by necessity, I had to wake up every morning and figure out ways to get everybody, including myself, you know, better. I had never run a open retail store before. I didn't know how to do a job description or a performance review or, um, a compensation study or, um, you know, a, a, a complex scheduling chart for a 10 hour day, uh, which is insane. Most businesses are not open 10 hours. They're either open eight hours or 24 hours. Um, uh, and so you have a lot of duplication. You have a lot of problems with your payroll when, when, but that's, how, that's how late we were allowed to be open, um, by the city. So, um, so we had to, by necessity, pioneer a lot of these things, which are now, I'm proud to say, industry standards. And, and, and you know, I get to have a little smile whenever I walk in a, a dispensary anywhere in America. Um, much of the standard operating procedures are, are the ones we developed at Harborside to this day. So um, uh, it is something that, that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, but it, it's, it's, all, it's all part of the same journey of, reducing the stigma and, and letting the world know that what we're doing is not only normal, it's beyond normal. It's a really good thing. And, uh, and we can do it just as normally as everybody else does their thing. Um, and we can actually layer a whole bunch of good on top of the normal uh, so that, you know, I think five or 10 years from now, if we do our job right, okay, if everybody does their job right, communities instead of banning dispensaries and not wanting a dispensary in your neighborhood you'll want them yeah i hope i hope and just same thing with the psychedelic clinics that are coming the psychedelic plant medicine clinics that rick doblin and maps and all those good folks are working on they're coming one of the big problems those clinics are going to have in the beginning is the same problems that the dispensaries had nobody wants them in their neighborhood there's going to be, oh, there's going to be all these people tripping out and there's going to be all this crime. And, you know, there's going to be that similar. It's not maybe not going to be as intense as the cannabis stigma because uh, the psychedelic community has frankly done a better job branding, branding themselves as a wellness revolution than we have. Uh, but um, but it'll still be there. Right. And 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 once we all do our job right, and we demonstrate that these are good things. People will want will welcome uh, these in their neighborhoods and want them. Yeah, I think, you know, having the conversations around it is really, really important. And, you know, I mean, you saw in the 80s how, you know, they did a number on kids with the D.A.R.E. I, I had mentioned to a friend that my little cousin went through a D.A.R.E. program and she ended up getting strep throat and didn't even want to take her antibiotics because she was like, say no to drugs. <laughs> You know, it's oh, like, I, yeah, and it was terrible what they did to us. I remember, yeah. Oh, it's awful. And and when I when I go into um, so I I've been doing policy advocacy for a while because I was one of the 
the chairs of the San Francisco Legalization Task Force, and I'm on oversight for San Francisco now. And when I when we're not in COVID, I do a little traveling and go to states where they're putting together policies and talking to lawmakers. And one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of the policies around what's available cannabis-wise is very arbitrary. It's based on state culture and stigma. And we've got a lot of work to do to to not only educate these lawmakers, but also, I think, empower the public to be like, hey, I have a job, I pay taxes, I vote, and, you know, I use cannabis or, you know, I use psychedelics and really pressuring them to have more thoughtful approaches to creating policy. Um, When we look at advocacy, I feel like there's a lot that comes into play, whether we're, we're, you know, walking the halls of a Capitol or, or like in your case, um, the two of you did some television work and I know like you have, I found out today when I was looking at your bio that you have a theater background and so do I. And I, I just feel like in some ways, like that creative approach of being able to um, engage people causes deeper thought and more normalization around it as well. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that and, and any sort of stories that you'd want to tell about your policy work, too. Sure. Well... And I know I just laid a lot on you, Andrew. So. No, no, it's okay. But it's, it, it, it's really, uh, how do we change people? How do we create change? Um, and I've tried to create change from the outside in. And I've also tried to create change from the inside out of people. And the inside out works a lot better than the outside in. Outside in are rational arguments, um, are um, data-driven things, um, are, you know, making our case um, and um, showing, you know, how all the studies that show can you know, all those rational approaches to getting people to change or lower their stigma of cannabis. What I find works better is a good story. You know, whether it's a play or a film or a podcast like we're doing right now or, or, or just people around the dinner table, okay, that's theater in and in in of itself a little bit, right? We're right. all actors on this stage of life, and, and the way we create change is to move people. We move people with our stories about how cannabis helped us or how cannabis helps a kid with epilepsy or a senior uh, with Alzheimer or somebody with MS or, or whatever it might be, your cancer. Um, those stories are what change people the fastest and from the inside out because they, they're moved emotionally or they're moved spiritually uh, by it. <clears throat> you know, when, when, when I ask people, how did you become a cannabis supporter? an advocate, they usually say, well, I know somebody who had XYZ condition and it helped them, or I had XYZ condition <laughs> um, and, and it helped me, or, um, or I saw, I experienced something like a child with epilepsy on a program, or I experienced some content that moved me to perhaps not change my mind immediately, but dig a little deeper. 
and question my previous assumptions. And, 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 and that's the kind of change I'm really interested. You know, when I, when the theater bug bit me in college and I was trying, I thought cannabis wasn't legal and I couldn't really say that I was a cannabis dealer (laughs) out loud. Um, I had to say I was something else and I wanted to say something that was something that a change agent with that, that would be associated with someone who was trying to create change and, you know, theater and acting and storytelling was something I liked to do. And, and I thought I could use it for that, uh, for that purpose. Uh, and, and I have, you know, then and since, um, but I've also sold a lot of weed and, and done a lot of, you know, advocacy in, in addition on the more rational approaches from the outside in. But I've really found that the inside out approaches work best. And, 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 and sometimes the inside out approaches, the plant itself, you know, somebody experiences the plant, they never experienced it before, or they experience a, a different type of visionary plant that they never experienced before. And, and that often is the most transformative way uh, to change people. You know, that's why I like being a, a cannabis trader because the plant does most of the work for us. Um, it's just not enough people have access to it. Um, still, even with legalization, it's just most of the 7 billion people on earth don't have access to cannabis cheaply and safely. They just don't. And until they do and they take it themselves, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it, or they are touched by a story, those are the only two ways I know of how to do the inside out. It's either the plant or the compound itself that changes people from the inside out, or it's a story. And maybe it's their own story, or maybe it's a story of somebody they, that's very close to them, or just a story that's well told uh, by a storyteller that moves them. Uh, that's where I see all these things sort of in, intersect together. Um, and uh, so I always encourage people to do advocacy, you know, find, find the thing that's going to touch people in their heart with what you're doing. It, you know, it, if you want to lower cannabis taxes in your town, cause they're ridiculous. Well, how do you do that? How do you appeal to somebody's heart to do that? You know, um, uh, uh, and there, there are ways to do that. You appeal to people's sense of, you know, um, fairness and, and, and how hard it is for people to afford their medicine. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you appeal to that. It's like really hard for working, you know, it's some, a huge percentage of all the weed consumed in this country is consumed by people that make 35,000, uh, average about $35,000 a year in income, which is below the medium in this country. The medium is like 50 um, or mid 40, something like that. And so it's quite a bit below the medium. And, and those are the people who consume most of the, those are the heavy consumers of cannabis right now. And I I think that'll get a lot more diverse, you know, um, um, because it's just now that the people, the wealthier people feel safe enough to do this. Right. Right. Um, without hurting their career or hurting their status or, that stigma just really hurting them. Um, uh, uh, um, but this medicine has always been there for the working class people and, 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 and particularly uh, people of color. And it's just been part of the culture. Uh, it's just part of how we cope with life. Uh, and, uh, and so. 
I just, I feel so like- there's ways to, you know, there's always a way to get into the heart of, yeah. of somebody. If we, we just have to be creative, a lot of times our ego get in the way and we want to talk about, put the activists out front. Don't put the activists out front, put the stakeholder out front, Yeah. put, put the person in pain, you know, put the person. Yeah. That's who you put out front. Yeah. It was, I think one of, it, it was a, it was a mixed blessing with legalization because I remember, you know, the first few weeks of legalization and I was behind the bar and seeing a lot of especially older people who are who are chronically ill on fixed incomes just in tears because they weren't able to afford what they needed. And I I just feel like we have so much work to do to create accessibility and it's you know safety and being able to have a good safe product to be able to go somewhere where you feel safe is important but a huge part of safety and access too is is knowing that you're going to be able to afford what you need and i one of the things that has always troubled me is the states when they come up with their policies i don't necessarily think that they look at other states to see what were wins and what were problems. And I feel like we're constantly reinventing the wheel in every new place that we, we take root. And, and uh, I you're so right. You oh know, God, it's terrible, isn't it? Oh, so yeah. frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it would save people a lot of problems. More. I mean, New Jersey's doing this idiotic thing. They're not going to allow home grow. Uh, New York's not going to allow home grow. It's so stupid. Um, uh, it's the stupidest thing because that's how you make it affordable. Okay. You can't afford to go buy it. Okay. You're allowed to grow your own. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, um, uh, and, and people can do that affordably. You can buy seeds and, 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 and get genetics affordably and you can, you can do it. Okay. It, 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 and people have been doing that for a long time and, 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 you know, or whether it's the taxation framework or the local control, you know, this local control issue is just another one I've been railing against is they keep making the same mistake. New Jersey just did it again. They're going to give the local people the right to ban it. Well, guess what? 80% of New Jersey is going to be banned now. Yeah. Just like 75% of Michigan's banned, 50 or 60% of California's banned. You know what? It's like 40% of Colorado still is banned to this day eight years after they legalize. <sighs> That's some slow going. I know. And, and you're right. It's like, they, it, I don't understand why this is where the democratic party's really disappointed me because it's generally been the democratic party that's been doing this in all these places. And they just don't talk to each other. They don't listen to each other. They're not, they're not listening to us. They, they're, they're, they're just, um, they're just covering their, their rear ends. They're just covering their rear ends. And it's like the local people have a lot of political power. They do, but you have to, and they're going to throw a fit when you tell them like Oklahoma did Oklahoma. If you they don't let the local people ban. That's why there's so many dispensaries all over Oklahoma right now. Uh, now maybe uh, one could argue there's too many. All right. But I'll take that problem any day over having these local people just ban the will of the people and, 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 and enforce prohibition by ban. Uh, it's just, it, you know, you couldn't do that during prohibition. If you're a local, you couldn't go to the federal government and say, Hey, we'd like to opt out of prohibition. We're going to legalize here. You don't mind, right? It's cool. Um, no, that's not how it worked. It was prohibition everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and 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 you know maybe alcohol there's still dry counties one could argue and 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 but i would say that alcohol had to make compromises with local people that were probably not the best right um and sh- and should we make those mistakes uh, um you know you, you either live in a free society or you don't at the end of the day um and and so we have to make those decisions uh, uh so so I'm equally frustrated with you. I, I, I spent a couple of years in Sacramento on the board of the California Cannabis Industry Association. Actually, seven years I spent up there. Um, and it was so hard to enact any kind of meaningful change. Still to this day, three years after Prop 64, we have not enacted any meaningful fixes to it at all. Yeah. Yeah. At all. No, and that's that's the thing. Like, people... People who aren't working in our work don't understand like how <laughs> how hard it is to actually have a plant touching business um, or even not. I mean, I have to say, like I was teaching at City College and I had to have professional liability insurance and my carrier, like the amount that I had to pay for my coverage for just me. And I'm not I was just teaching and there was no you know, live plant touching, no products, nothing of that nature. And the next year I got dropped just because I was doing cannabis education. And that's not even touching the plant. That's not, Unbelievable. yeah, it's nothing compared to what other people are going through. Yeah. 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 No, uh, you're right. People who don't do this work don't quite understand just, it's just one hardship after another. It's one um, hassle after another. It's one, rejection or stigma after another and even if you know i mean very few companies in california are profitable yeah very few of them most of them are breaking even or or a little less than that um and that's really the best they can do until the frameworks get improved yeah it's kind of a doggy paddle isn't it it's yeah, like until just... there's more dispensaries throughout the state to, 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 to build the supply chain into and until there's, um, you know, these bans get lifted, um, you know, it's, it, 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 and, and, the, and, and consumers who won't be in tears because they can't afford the weed. Right. You right. know, and so all that, it, 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 if you did a two-year tax holiday, got 280E fixed, uh, and you know, a couple other and, and lifted the, and didn't let the local people ban. You just did those things. Everybody would be profitable overnight. Yep. Overnight. Um, and consumers would be able to buy all their weed from the legal market, no matter how much they smoked every month. And, and right now, if you're a heavy consumer like me, I'm a heavy consumer of cannabis. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, 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 uh, luckily, I, you know, I'm supported by the community <laughs> and I get a lot of free weed. Uh, I hear samples. that. <laughs> um, 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 but if I wasn't um, who I am, okay, uh, I would not. And uh, it would be extremely hard for me. I would be, I would have very little, I, literally all my cannabis at retail prices is six figures a year. Yeah. It, it's six figures a year. Okay, and I don't. <laughs> who has six figures a year they can spend on weed? Um, uh, not you know, very few of us. 
Um, I don't. And I and certainly so, don't. <laughs> right. And 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 if you're a heavy consumer of weed and you add it all up, that's what you're looking at. If you're if you're you know, I, I eat capsules, I smoke hash. I mean, you know, I'm at the higher end of the scale. Um, uh, uh, so but still it's it's. So, yeah, we have a lot of work to do, so much work to do. Gosh, there's so much work to do. I, so I'm afraid we're going to have to put something on the ballot again to fix it in 2024. I, I think that that's, that's not a bad idea. And and the one thing that I think they don't realize is, like, you know how we talk about, like, there are a lot of jobs. Like, the job market has created a lot of opportunity. But if a lot of those things were lifted, we'd even have more opportunities for abundance in employment. And not only that, but um, just ownership. Because it's the the entry into cannabis now is it's just insane. And I think about like back in the two fifteen days, people were able to start their businesses on next to nothing and thrive. That's right. That's right. And 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 we need to create that that environment again as best we can. I, I'm not sure you're going to be able to for you know five hundred bucks get some brown, you know, an edible into an harborside like you could in the 215 days and, and, you know, increase your orders week by week, um, and start building your business. Um, uh, it might take a little bit more than that, but it shouldn't take six figures, seven figures to, to, to get into this. Um, and it, it shouldn't, uh, uh, and, and, uh, so I, 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 I hope we, we all do better in, in all the different states. Um, I am, you know, there's, there's a lot of hopeful signs. We're definitely in the fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, look at, look at what social justice and social equity, how far that's come in Canada just in the last few years. So, the, so that, that aspect of the activism has gone really well. Have the programs been designed and implemented well? No. But now the community's going around it. I mean, you know, just going around it and finding their own source of funding and and learning how to get out of predatory deals. And, you know, it's 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 starting to happen. We only have four percent ownership of people of color in cannabis. It's a total disgrace. Uh, And we just got to do better than that. Um, And so these these things are starting to get embedded in law with licensing, uh, going to, to these communities. And, and now we have to make sure they succeed. Yes. Um, and that, that, that's how, and it's not just people of color, there's women, the, the queer community, there's just all of these groups that, that sacrificed a lot during prohibition, you know, um, um, our women, <laughs> uh, sacrificed so much during prohibition. Uh, uh, when I was a big weed dealer, all the women in my life or who kept me going, um, uh, without them, I would have for sure gotten busted, destroyed, strung out. God only knows what, um, uh, left to my own devices. So, so, so there's just a lot. We, we, we have the opportunity to create this ecosystem where we have small businesses, medium businesses, bigger businesses, publicly traded businesses, um, craft cannabis co-ops, um, uh, people of color and huge companies, ownership in huge companies and creating intergenerational wealth. Um, we have the opportunity to create that. It's sitting here right in front of us. Um, and I'm committed to making that happen, man. And I, and I hope, I know you are, I know most of your listeners are too, um, that, and it's going to be a lot of fun. 
I mean, the more important thing is it's going to be fun and the weed is going to be really good um, because our community cares uh, about that. And, and if we're just given the chance to be in the game, we'll lift the tide. We'll lift the tide for all boats. Um, and, 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 you know, we just have to socialize that message. There's so much room for everybody. Uh, all these, there's a lot of people, you know, on the investor side, the suit side, I call them the suits. Um, uh, I say that lovingly. I love the suits. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, they got to get over this global domination tendency. Right. You know, no one gets to globally dominate anymore. Okay, and no, that's not the world we live in anymore. Um, uh, It's time to create a new world. Um, And whatever the thrill that comes with global domination, because I I meet these folks that are into that, and it's not the money that's turning them on. It's something else, right? Can we transfer that? Is there a way to transfer that energy into, you know, this, this more decentralized sort of approach? Um, uh, because it, it, if we, if we can transfer that thrill, um, in, into a more decentralized, uh, it can be fun. And, 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 you know, it's, 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 it, it can, it can, we can be engaged in something again, like we were saying earlier in the conversation that has meaning <laughs> that every day of our finite existence, um, uh, gives us uh, joy and meaning, you know, and, and, and that's that's what it's all about. That's that's what life's all about. I think. Yeah, I I, I love that. And you know, it's like like you're saying. You know, we love the suits. But one of the things that I really enjoy about my colleagues, and I I always I make this crack, and sometimes people like stop and they like sit back and they look at me for a second, and then they give me the knowing nod. I'm like, almost everybody I know who's been doing this for a while and is passionate about it. I'm like. One of the things that we all are is we're like our personalities. We're all kind of part carny. <laughs> we're all a little weird. And I love that. I love our quirkiness. And I, I do see that in like some of my suited colleagues as well. I'm like, I see it in you. That's why you're here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, well, and, you know, our suit friends are very important. They have a very important role to play. We're not going to get cannabis medicine into the 7 billion cab- medicine cabinets on Earth without them. Um, and you know, and I, I, it, 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 there's a difference between creating wide access and creating global dominating monopoly structures. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference, you know, and, and, um, and so, but very important role to play and we need to build bridges, you, you, you know, um, uh, between the, I call them the stoners and the suits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, but, but we all need to come together and, and, and I, it's starting to happen, you know, yeah. we're starting to see we're we're starting to, you know, we could probably do a whole nother program on that, but, but, but it, <laughs> we it, should. <laughs> it, I can, I, I can tell you that, that whether it be the social equity community, whether it be, um, the, and the investor community and the ESG community, this, there's this whole sustainable movement happening in cannabis right now with respect to packaging and how we grow our weed and, um, um, and how we power our indoor grows and so forth. It's, 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 it's quite remarkable what's happening on, on those levels too. And, and, um, and, and like you said, our, our community is a big tribe with a lot of freaky people in it and, um, a lot of creative people and a lot of unique people. 
and that's what makes it so fun and 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 that's what makes it so wonderful uh right now. it's a really great moment we're in you know 10 years from now when the industry is much larger it might not have that same character in, in the same way that it does now so it's a really fun uh, moment to be in because because you'll never almost anyone you sit down with has a fascinating story yep yeah, it kind of it reminds me in some ways of when I when I moved here in the mid '90s and and actually came out here to teach acting to kids and I ended up in tech. Oh, cool! <laughs> I got here right yeah. when the dot yeah. com stuff started going. So I was like, get your ass in an office, girl. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But there were so many cool artists, and even the people in tech were like these incredibly creative, quirky people, and I. I just love that so much. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. And for our listeners, if you'd like to follow Andrew on social media, he is on Instagram and Twitter as Andrew underscore D'Angelo. And if you'd like to check out his website, it's andrewdangelo.com. In addition, one of his multitudes of wonderful projects, The Last Prisoner Project. Uh, check that out, lastprisonerproject.org. And for our listeners who'd like to follow Planted on social media, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That is Planted with Sarah. And our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com, where we have episodes of our podcasts. You'll also find Planted on our parent a website, which is Radio Misfits, along with a lot of other really wonderful podcasts. One of my favorites is The Winemaker, so check that out. Um, in addition to that, we are going two episodes a month. I think I've mentioned that in other episodes, so stay tuned for our next one. Um, podcast is also available on Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and Apple, pretty much anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts, Planted will be there too. So until next time, take care of yourselves. It's a crazy world out there, folks, and we all need each other's help to make it through. So be good to each other. And until next time, take care.